Welcome to Stories That Matter, a podcast series brought to you by STM. We believe that the best way to communicate with anyone is to make them feel something, and that the best way to do that is through the power of stories. And so in this series, we celebrate stories that matter. And in this episode, I was thrilled to chat to the supremely talented Simon Toyne. Simon is a music educator. He has over 30 years experience and knowledge of the music education landscape. In his position as Director of Music at the David Ross Education Trust, he leads a music programme for over 14,500 children across 34 state primary and secondary schools. So he was the perfect guest to chat to me about the power of music, why it matters so much in storytelling, and why his happy place involves music and sport. And for the first time in this series, you will be able to enjoy three fabulous musical interludes. I hope you enjoy this episode. Simon, it's absolutely fantastic to uh, uh, see you. Thank you so much for doing um, what is, I think, the fourth episode now of our Stories That Matter podcast series. Um, And I can't wait because uh, for reasons that we'll come on to uh, what you do, how you do it and, and, and the things that you're passionate about. Um, I, I so admire and have been such a part of my life for uh, a very long time that I, I can't wait for us to explore music, the power of music, what it means for storytelling uh, and everything in between. So um, you are hugely welcome to this podcast. Oh, thank you. And it's really good to be with you. Um, let's get straight into it. Uh, and, and I decided... Um, that given that this is a podcast about music um, and the power of music and why music matters, we should definitely, during the podcast, play some music. And so I think we're going to punctuate this with with, with two or three bits of music that uh, I'm going to direct you towards. And so I just thought we might start this podcast by, by asking you, what was the very first piece of music that moved you? And then I think after you've given us the answer, whatever that may be, um, I think we'll play a couple of minutes of it and uh, and then come back to uh, to the next question. Well, that's great. Well, um, if you ask my mother, she would say that the, the very first piece of music that ever moved me was a literal movement, which was the 1812 overture when I was in her womb and I was making such a noise uh, <laughs> through, through beating time uh, that she had to leave. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's something about that, actually, isn't there, about... The importance of rhythm uh, with young children and babies in particular uh, about it being something that's so elemental and it's so um, so important in, in how we, how we, we shape our lives um, the, the the piece I, I really remember now is the Nutcracker and I mean I was only four and uh, my parents took me to see uh, the Silas Wells Royal Ballet in the big top in Plymouth and again they tell me tell the story uh, about uh, in the interval a couple behind them tapping on the shoulder and saying that when we saw you come in with your son we thought oh blimey uh, there's going to be all this restlessness but we'd be more captivated by your son uh, and his complete engagement with the story and the music than we have been by the ballet. Um, and actually, from that moment on, you know, the, the LP of the Nutcracker got uh, worn out very quickly. Um, and it's that magical end of Act One, um, with, you know, with the choir coming in. Maybe that g- gave a sort of 
uh, an impetus for me joining a choir shortly after that I think is just um, out of this world. Fantastic. What a piece of music that is too. So with a, a nod to your mum, with a nod to, Tchaik- to Tchaikovsky and a, a nod to the Nutcracker, let's, uh, let's listen to a couple of minutes of that piece. So, Simon, um, you have spent your life in music in, in one way or another. And so um, I'm really interested in just exploring with you. First up, what, what, why does music matter so much? Why is it so important? And I know that's a broad question, and I know there's probably enough answers to fill three podcasts. But <laughs> instinctively, why does it matter? Because it connects with who we are. Um, it, it music it connects with our emotion, and by emotion, this is just not one thing, isn't it? It's like we have a whole spectrum of feelings, and just as uh, you can easily say that you, you know you read a novel uh, to read the novel of your life, it's a very similar thing uh, with music, only even more profound, uh, because the nature of music is it enables us to identify and express. Uh, elements of ourselves and elements of what we feel and elements of the world that go well beyond words. Um, so as a music educator, uh, you know, it's obviously vital that music is at the centre of children's experience for that reason. And also because music punctuates key periods of our lives. Uh, you know, we think about the rituals of, of marriage, of, of singing to your children, of of, of, of funerals, of, of going to the football match, or even better, cricket. Um, <laughs> that's really important. But there's also, that, but that deep thing about engaging beyond words means more and more to me the, 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 the longer I go in as, edu- as, as an educator. Um, you know, there's a, there's a red herring, I think, in this when people say, oh, well, what music do you like? What music do you dislike? Um, well, as, as, as musicians, we... We don't even encounter that. We don't bother with that because the point of music is it changes us. Yeah. You know, as, as a professional musician, the music you're engaging with at that moment has to be the most important thing in the world. Yeah. We become the music. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a great transferable benefit, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Um, so uh, I, I think that's it. It, it, it. It's about becoming someone different from who you, you are at the beginning of the piece of music. Yeah, fantastic. And, and, and indeed, it goes beyond that. I, I was very struck recently listening to Ed Gardner, who you will know is uh, yeah. an incredibly um, a brilliant and, and accomplished conductor, Bergen Philharmonic. Um, recently, I think he's, 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 just, he's just joined, I think, the London Philharmonic, hasn't he? Um, or is about That's right. to, I think. Yeah, yeah. he's director in, in Oslo Yeah, well. in Oslo, yeah. And, and, but I, I was very struck um, by something he said um in an interview a year or so, I guess, you know, I can be in, 
I can be in um, a concert hall, I can conduct the same piece of music with the same orchestra across eight nights and every night is different. Every yeah. night feels different because the orchestra in a different place, yes, the score is the same, but the audience are different and every single night is a different experience. So even within the same piece of music and the same orchestra and the same music uh, concert hall, those eight evenings feel, could feel, and have felt yeah, very, that's right. it's very a, different it's for a him. It's a human thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that's actually one of the great fascinations and great qualities of classical music is that all we have is the score, uh, which is a representation of music. Yeah. Um, the music itself is the performance. Yeah. And just as an actor will... Uh, you know, speak uh, you know, Hamlet's soliloquy of mm. to be or not to be uh, differently um, because of circumstances. And also we all say it differently because we have different accents and we shape language differently. Exactly the same thing goes on in classical music night to night, which is why you can hear the same piece 150 times in your life and it sounds different yeah. every time. It's maybe one of the reasons why I've uh, watched The Marriage of Figaro maybe a thousand times in my life. Oh. Uh, and we'll come on to, to talk. Opera. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to talk about the magic of Mozart in, in, in a while. But just coming back to that piece about emotion, because it, it's obviously, you know, hugely important. And I, I want, if I could, to just pull that round now and, and, and make the link between emotion and, and storytelling. As you know, this podcast is about stories that matter. And, and, and I know personally and through experience that the, the massive power that music has in in storytelling. And I just want to give you a couple of thoughts, really, um, to, 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 to prompt this part of the conversation. You know, the first thought is, is a quote, actually, from the American uh, singer, songwriter, poet, rap artist, Saul Williams. He said, you know, legislation won't necessarily start a riot, but the right song can make someone pick up a chair, uh, which I think speaks to that exactly thing yeah. you were talking about. But I, I, the other thing I... I always think, you know, I, and always strikes me, is, you know, emotion in the end, you talk about it much, um, it, just at, at the beginning here, you, emotion is at the heart of every musical performance uh, and storytelling is, is at the heart of emotion. Uh, and I, I like that kind of thought. And I just wonder whether you could reflect on music, storytelling, the role music has in storytelling, and again, why it's such an important facet of bringing stories to life. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because uh, some music directly tells a story. Um, I mean, obviously, when there are lyrics, that's happening, and that's that's why song is so engaging um, a, a, as an immediate emotional connection between uh, writer, performer, and and listener. And obviously, operas. You mentioned Figaro. Well, that's a great story. But out of that story, we're able to learn things about human existence. Um, what's fascinating, though, is how we can experience a similar emotional arc without lyrics and how, how, how music is able to, to, to suggest this. Now, I mean, there, there are physical reasons for that, aren't there? I mean, which are to do with harmonics. So as a simple way of making all of your listeners feel deeply uncomfortable, I could sing a scale. da da and I guarantee every single one of you is in pain at the moment because they're waiting for me to go, ah! Um, actually, that's something that isn't a learned behavior. That's 
how how the physics of sound works, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, indeed. Um, and all we're doing as musicians is playing with the physics of the sound. Um, there's something interesting also, isn't there, about major and minor. So with children, you know, there's the standard thing you know, you're saying, is it major or minor? Is it, is, it, is it happy or sad? Well, it goes a little bit more detailed than that, doesn't it? Which is the reason we feel, feel something uh, uh, primal with a minor chord is, again, down to the, the harmonics, that we're actually hearing the major third and the minor third at the same time. So that's creating disturbance in our brain. Yes. Now, the more we engage with music, the more we actually look forward to those moments of disturbance. Mm, yeah. It's a fascinating thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's why composers use dissonance and then resolve it as a, as a way of expressing. Yeah. And of course, there's that great moment at the beginning of Tristan and Isolde, it's a fantastic opera by, by Wagner, where it just lands on a chord that hadn't been heard before in the history of music, so much so it was called the Tristan chord. <laughs> Um, we can analyze it now. Yeah. And uh, that chord is there unresolved for the next five hours yeah. of the opera. And it, and it represents that feeling of falling in love and the, the feeling that there will never be resolution, that there's always yeah. Yeah. Uh, tension and engagement. And it's, it's a fascinating thing. So, so in answer to your question, um, we're hearing stories without words um, in every piece of music. And that's engaging our emotions on a primal level, level to do with physics. So just a, one thing for me, let's not have any uh, nonsense about creative subjects and non-creative subjects. Physics is creative. Yes, indeed. And and, and, There's a lot in music that isn't. Yeah, yeah. and, and maths um, is arguably the most creative subject. In, absolutely. Yeah. So I, okay. I, 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 yeah, I completely agree with that. And, you know, I'm gonna, we're, we're definitely going to come on to the subject of education as it pertains to music and school curriculum, yeah. various other things. I'm fascinated in that notion of dissonance, by the way. Uh, our world, um, as you know, is, is, is very much about trying to connect ideas and, and organisations and, you know, really where ideas come from. And, of course, in our, in our experience, the very best ideas start from a place where you're talking about two things that wouldn't naturally go together. Yeah, right? and 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 that's often Absolutely. that's often where you know you find the most powerful start point for ideas actually, and uh, mm. and 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 you know certainly we talk as as well, and I'm going to come on to talk about fault lines in a minute, um, but you know places where they're at the intersection of things that should be happening, but frankly nobody's doing anything about that. That's an interesting place for you to start to explore content and uh, interesting. Uh, ideas, I think it really is, Gary. If I could, when you were just saying, if I just interrupt to say, actually, when you were saying that, that this is why musicians are good problem solvers. Mm. Um, it's actually a deeply musical thing that dissonance then brings resolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you think about when you're learning to compose, mm. uh, you set up dissonance through. I mean, there's a thing called a suspension, and it's called preparation, suspension, resolution. That fundamentally is then amplified through a rehearsal process yeah. Yeah. or in sport, a coaching process, you know, and, and, and so th there is a natural thing. I, I always remember um, Daniel Barenboim writing in, in one of his books with Edward Said about the Oslo Peace Accord and saying why ultimately it failed was because it was sonata form, but they'd forgotten about the development. They went straight to the recapitulation. Yeah, fascinating. And, it really is fascinating that, you know, that with any organization, we have to allow time 
for ideas to bear through and be comfortable about clashes of ideas as long as we have an idea of resolution. Yeah, yeah. And that also speaks, doesn't it, to that notion of iteration, evolution, things evolve yeah. and, 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 and evolve through the power of collaboration, actually ultimately in order to try and achieve that resolution but yeah collaborate well again it's uh, Matt, uh, i think it's matthew said who has written about uh collaboration being a, a, an essential human characteristic yeah. we're hardwired to collaborate yeah, completely completely and we find that all the time in our world you know we have we have a company we work with clients but actually the very best moments of resolution are when we collaborate with those clients in the service of the work that we're trying to do to solve their problems. But um, I mentioned some fault lines. I'd like to really explore one fault line that honestly bugs me night and day. Um, and, and I'm going to say a few things to you now that you know, and I'm, and I'm embarrassed to even say these to you as a music educator, <laughs> but I will do for the purposes of our listeners, because if you take a cursory look at the research around the benefits that music has, you, you can easily discover that we know music has a fundamental impact on your ability uh, with phonics uh, from a very young age. We know that actually if you study notation and you become great at notation, it has an impact on your ability to read text. We know that if you are highly musically trained, you have got sophisticated aural memory because those two things go hand yeah. in hand. And I'll offer one more to you, of which I know there are thousands. Um, but we also know that making music ha has an incredibly positive impact on spatial reasoning, uh, for example. So please explain this to me. If all of that is true, and indeed it is, why is it that in schools across this land and many others around the world, music isn't taken seriously, it is not funded, it is not regarded uh, as one of those subjects that seemingly is in the, you know, the big four or five that you have to take in order to perceive to be academic. Uh, and yet all those things are true. Uh, and, and from a very young age, we move from participation in music to by the time we get to adulthood, just being very passive and listening to it. Could you, could you unpack yeah. a few of those things for me? Well, because thank you. As a music <laughs> educator, you are uniquely placed to do so. <laughs> There's so much in there. And I just want to start curiously enough with what you said last, which is we move to a passive relationship as listeners. Um, we participate when we're in an audience. If you go and see a play, you're, you're participating there, aren't you? So, so I, I'd like just to challenge that last one. Very, very good. Uh, very so you've been Figaro 150 <laughs> times. Uh, you know, that's not passive as a vegetable, is it? You're, you're developing it's, through that. Um, so I would actually say that a significant uh, uh, reason for music education is to develop the audiences of tomorrow, and that is a laudable aim in itself. However... I, I take that. Develop, I, I take that entirely, and, uh, and thank you for <laughs> however, the challenge. However, we develop... The, uh, pleasure. Uh, have we develop an understanding of music through participation, just like we develop an understanding of sport through participation. You know, there's not one kid in the, in, in, uh, around the country who's knocking a football about who hasn't seen a football match or who doesn't have a perception of what good is. Um, and that, in fact, is endemic to sport, isn't it? You know, witness chanting daily. Yeah. Now, all of what you've said about the importance of music and the transferable benefits is true. And I'd like to posit that where music is happening in schools, 
with that intensity and uh, with that sense of purpose, it, it's flourishing. Our issue is that not enough people understand that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. Uh, shortly after I took my role up at DRET, which is a multi-academy trust in the East Midlands, and where I'm responsible for 34 state um, primary and secondary schools, I spoke to a head and he said to me, look, I've been teaching for 20 years and I've taught in schools in special measures and those that require improvement and I've got my schools are good. Um, but I've never taught in an outstanding school and I don't know what outstanding feels like. And I thought that's, that's really interesting. We had a really interesting discussion about that, about how, you know, for a head teacher to bring a school to outstanding, it's not just about a checklist. You've actually got to experience it through other schools, you know, that yes. sense of the temperature, yeah. yeah, all those light touch moments about, you know, knowing kids' names, uh, encouraging zaniness and quirkiness, having fun, um, encouraging creativity, all that is important for developing an outstanding school. But then I thought, okay, let's talk about music. How many head teachers, how many politicians have never experienced outstanding music education? Now, I've asked lots of people that question, and the lowest percentage anyone has given me is 90%. Mm. Now, that's a systemic thing, isn't yeah. it? About most, most people have actually experienced really poor music education. Yeah, 100%. And so why would you want to, to put money into that, uh, where you've got kids who are disaffected in the classroom, uh, they're not making progress as instruments? You know, there has to be a new way of thinking about things. Mm. Actually, I'm optimistic about what's happening. We've had a model music curriculum published two years ago. We've just had the new national plan for music education published. Which you've been closely involved with, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been on the panel devising this with, with the Department for Education and, and Department for Culture, Media and Sport. Yeah. And one of the things that we've been looking at there is helping schools develop music in their, in their schools. And... That is addressing the exact issue that I've just been talking about. Heads need to know what it looks like. I, I, I've, I've yet to meet a head who doesn't want there to be good music in their school. Yeah. Um, but they don't know where to start. So we've actually got here two things. First of all, um, music is an unusual subject. So you can't just fund it like you do geography. Okay, with geography, you say, right, there you go. There's the lessons teaching. Yes. Um, go on a field trip. Yeah. Um, and, and, and encourage them through homework. With music, you've got the curriculum, and we now have, for the first time ever, a government stipulation that is a minimum of one hour a week of curriculum music mm -hmm. from early years up to year nine. You then have to invest in co-curricular music, yes. uh, vocal and instrumental programs, um, or all the ensembles and so on, and also, finally, enrichment, so the concerts, arts weeks, trips, and so on. And we're saying that every school... Uh, it, from a year hence, needs to have that curriculum guaranteed, access to one-to-one -one and group tuition, a school choir, a mixed ensemble, a termly concert, uh, experience of live professional amateur performance. That, that will help. And we've given examples of ordinary schools across the country funding this through government funding alone. So I, I, I will challenge anyone about this, that it is possible. It's not so much about finance. It's about understanding value. It's like anything. Yes. You value something, then everything else follows yeah, through that. Yeah. Now, Gareth, there, there is one other thing I'd just like to point out about that, which is co-curricular music and learning an instrument. 
That's where the big social inequality is happening, and that's where we need to uh, devote our attention. Yeah, because all the research shows that the single biggest factor in developing musicianship on an instrument is practice, and it's around about 150 hours that's necessary to go from one grade to another. Mm. I mean, you don't have to do the grades, but it's the equivalent. Yeah, there. exactly. And so let's let's say a young person has an has a half an hour um, instrumental lesson. Um, every week in term time. So that's 30 weeks. That's 15 hours. And that ratio of tuition, 15 hours tuition, 150 hours practice of 1 to 10, isn't seen in young people's education until maybe they get to university and do an art subject, yeah. maybe. So we've got to do something about yeah. that. Now, the, the the big thing is, of course, all those ensembles they're part of at school and in the community and singing choirs do count to that. And it's why... It's, you know, cathedral choristers are able to sing Howl's Colreg age 10. They're not talented. They're just putting the hours in because they're doing two hours a day. Yeah, I mean, they become talented. So I think that's that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it needs time and it needs value. And funding follows from there. Yeah, and I, th- and I suppose on that basis, what you're talking about really is that balance between skill and will. And, yeah. you know, Matthew Said, you quoted earlier, you know, he obviously famously talked about 10,000 hours of purposeful practice, you know, in order to become, you know, elite uh, in in whatever your chosen field is. But so it sounds as though progress is being made, which is great. And it sounds like you're sitting at heart, that progress. And I I hope that progress that you talk about is seen to to create real change, actually, quickly, because I I know from my own experience, it really does. And I, 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 you know, I reflect all the time, given my love of music now, I, I think I... I mentioned to you previously, you know, I, I stepped into a, I stepped into the English National Opera in October 1991. I couldn't spell the word opera. Uh, and I was fortunate to see uh, the then lesser known Welsh bass baritone, Sabrina Terfel, sing the lead role of Figaro. And, um, and the last 25 minutes of that opera, I was in tears because I just could not believe what I was listening to. It yeah. just struck me as being... Uh, the, the most, and still does every time I listen to it, the most extraordinary ensemble of voices uh, capturing the most powerful of emotions. And to this day, I, I, I honestly am um, mesmerised by by that uh, that music, and I'm mesmerised by you know the talent that that that, that Mozart had to create that that music. So, um, and I know you know we share a love of, of that opera, and we share a love of music generally. But for me. I look back and think, wow, if only I'd had somebody, somebody who'd opened my eyes to music from the age of yes. four, uh, the age of five, the age of six, you know, who, who knows? I, I may have been able to. It's absolutely that. I mean, that, that's the thing, I, you know, the, the nurture and the care and the love that, that everyone can show young people. It's yeah. about opening doors, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we have a partnership with, with the Royal Opera House mm. and um, this last year we took a thousand um, children, yeah, from Bridlington and Corby and Grimsby and yeah. um, and Skegness uh, to to see Prokofiev, Romeo and Julia, and um, uh, Traviata in the school's matinees, and it, it's it's amazing. Yeah. And they they walk in through that through the doors and yeah. see something so beautiful, yeah, incredible. And it has an equivalent effect. Yeah, and 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 by direct, obviously talking about the educational trust in which you're heavily right. involved and 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 doing a fantastic job. 
within that trust to promote all the things that we've talked about on this podcast so far. Okay, that, that fantastic, Simon. Um, time for a bit more music, I think. G- given we've been talking about education and parents and how you instill a love of music from an early age, um, I'm interested. If if there are parents listening to this, or people generally think, oh, I'd like to get my niece, my nephew, my five-year-old, my seven-year-old, my nine-year-old into music. Is there one piece of music uh, that you might recommend that they listen to? I mean, uh, that's a tough question, isn't it? Um, But uh, it it is a tough (laughs) question. Maybe it's one or two. I don't know. But given that you are the first person ever to sing on one of our podcasts, it's not beyond you. It's not beyond you, by the way, to answer this question. But yeah, if there's one piece of music, what, what, what would it be and why? Uh, and maybe we'll we'll listen to a couple of minutes. Uh, well, do you know I you know I'm a music educator, so I'm going to be contrary by yeah, <laughs> by nature. Um, if you're asking about what parents should play to children, the answer is not a not just one piece because you need to experience, allow them to experience lots. It's about play them what your passion is about because the thing that they remember is your love of that music, and therefore that transfers as love to you. That is such a great answer. such a great answer, by the way. It's not contrary, it's just great. I I just remember my dad playing hymns on the piano at home and singing along. And um, and, there's a carol called People Look East that my mum and dad used to sing the whole time. And that was my audition piece when I I auditioned to be a chorister in Exeter Cathedral. Um, so I think that's the thing is, is for parents to play and sing stuff that they love. Um, okay. Go on, pick a one. Piece of music for me. Right. Okay. I'm going to be a bit old fashioned. Okay, there was an amazing opera by Engelbert Humperdinck, the original Engelbert Humperdinck <laughs> called Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. Um, which, um, I mean, we did, uh, again, with, with our children, we did all of our year fives and year sixes, um, uh, so around two and a half thousand children uh, last term around the, the um, country. And it was great, particularly at Bridlington Spa, this amazing theatre. After every number, there was one man in the audience who shouted out after every number, well done, son. I thought, yes, that's how it should be. So I think the overture to Hansel and Gretel is wonderful and you can't beat it. Okay, in which case we will now uh, enjoy... Uh, some of that overture uh, before we come back just to uh, to, to round <laughs> off and, and finish off this quite brilliant so far podcast Simon So um, we're now relaxed and, and happy that we found our piece of music to engage children uh, all over uh, the, the, the place. Um, I want to talk about, if I may, uh, what's actually, when I say these words, it sounds very, a very dull 
subject. We, 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 we spend a lot of time thinking about the neuroscience of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because we know that when people tell fabulous stories, lots of fabulous yeah. hormones are released uh, that enable people to feel um, all, all sorts of things around empathy and reward and you know the role that humour plays in storytelling. And we know that sometimes when you overpower people with too much information, some of those yes. horrid hormones are released that make people feel... Um, you know, not not so great. I, I want to explore the neuroscience, not in a scientific way, um, because I, I I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do that in the context of this podcast. But I just want to explore the neuroscience of, uh, of music as it pertains to this fact: music engages every part of the brain, front, yeah. back, left, right, uh, and and in doing so, I, I think just has the power to do things that, that, that so many other things can't do. So I just wonder whether you could maybe reflect on that for, for, for a moment and comment on that and discuss it and talk about it. Yeah, um, it does. And, and that's why it's important to establish, with, particularly with young people, that listening is an activi- activity and we're not just dealing with sound bites. Um, one of the... We, we've, well, actually, I'm going to go back a little bit. We spoke about moving beyond like versus dislike. And what we're trying to do is, as yeah. teachers is equip children with an understanding of musical vocabulary. That's, I don't mean that just in terms of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I'm talking about musical elements like melody, harmony, tonality, timbre, dynamics, and within that, being able to identify what's happening in a piece of music. Because that development of vocabulary goes hand in hand with the development of the brain. And our ability to, to respond to something that is complex um, is fundamentally what education is about, isn't it? It's why we want people to discuss mm. difficult issues rather than resort to violence. Violence happens when language runs out. It's also completely um, endemic with sport. You know, there's a fascination with stats, isn't there, and technique. Uh, and we want to know more about that to yes. help us understand the nuance <clears throat> of what we're watching. So that's the first thing. I think we, we can help with an understanding of how to listen and how to get more out of it. Um, but there is something really special. And I'll, 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 I'll tell you um, also a story just from... from uh, the other day, uh, which is, I run a chapel choir in, in, a, in an academy in Northampton, uh, Malcolm Arnold Academy, and this small chapel, purpose built, um, is in the centre of an atrium. And uh, I just rehearse first thing in the morning and don't think anything of it half an hour. And there was a teaching assistant who who came from and spoke to me and said, "Look, I just want to say thank you um, because you probably don't realise this, but you have the windows open, and so we can hear what you're doing." Um, across the courtyard and there was a child in uh, in my form who had a family bereavement is finding it really tough and so I just took her out of the lesson and we sat in the atrium listening to your choir practice and it made all the world a difference to her and we were rehearsing some of the Foray Requiem at that time and you just think actually that ability of music to speak and to touch and to console and to connect, not just with what we're feeling at that moment, but also what with thousands, millions of other human beings have felt 
through time is almost indescribable, isn't it? Um, and we don't allow enough time that's it. for that. No, and that's a wonderful story and a wonderful reminder about the things that bind us and the things yeah. that connect us and the things that we can emotionally coalesce around. It's a, it's a fabulous thought. And I think the other thing I was just thinking, you know, as, as you were talking about, it's a brilliant answer you gave, by the way, to the what, what piece of music would you suggest? Well, actually, you know, um, play the music that you're passionately yeah. engaged by in, in, in press, you know, with your with your children. And I just want at this point, we we, we share a, 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 a great mate, don't we, in, yeah. in, in a chat with Bob Porter. And, um, you know, Bob's a fantastic, um, a fantastic human being and, and a passionate advocate for the power of music. He's a wonderful musician. And he runs a choral series, a choral festival called the Brandenburg Series, as you know. And, you know, for anyone listening to this, I, I would urge you to have a look at what he does. It is the Brandenburg Festival. It's choral music in wonderful settings in London churches. And um, and I just was thinking about him, actually, as you was talking about that, because I think at this moment, I, I'd actually just like to pause, reflect and celebrate and thank, actually, you and, and everybody who is involved in the world of music who are through their own passion trying to uh, embody that spirit of why music matters and 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 passing that passion on through whatever they're doing whether they're educating uh, at music in schools whether they're like bob building a fantastic festival that gives people the opportunity to listen to wonderful wonderful choral music i'd just like to pause and reflect and acknowledge and just say if anyone's out there that's doing that and a big shout to bob Thank you very much. Um, you're doing a wonderful thing. Uh, and this podcast is just going to celebrate that for 10 seconds. Well, thank you. I mean, the thing for us as, as, as musicians is um, it's all about sharing. And it's all about community yeah. and and connections, and that really is the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's great uh, to. I mean, as a conductor, that's a fantastic conducting the Verdi Requiem or Child of Our Time, and, and also. But you know, there's as much reward in seeing a child learn to sing, or mastering a chord progression, or just coming into the room with sort of eyes shining because they've heard something that's changed their life. You know, that's that's the privilege of of working in this business. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, can I just say, it, it for me, it's a source sometimes of, of, of embarrassment when I host these things because you never like listen to your own voice. And uh, um, But can I just say, honestly, I, I've just got to the stage of this podcast and thought this is the, genuinely, I'm thinking, I'm actually looking forward to listening to this myself, even though I've just recorded it with you, actually. Um, so brilliant has it been and so magical, actually, in terms of the stories you've told and some of the subjects we've touched on. And in a way, it's a shame that the podcast format means we can't talk for hours and hours because I'd love to. But um, our time is nearly up. But what I'd like to do just before we go, Simon, before I just offer a huge thank you and and. It is is to ask you really two questions. One is, and it's something I always ask of people: Where's your happy place um, outside of music? You know, where, where's your happy place in life? And then just before we, um, you know, just at the very end, and I think we'll end with a piece of music. Um, 
what, what's the what's the piece of music that uh, you you know is your happy go to oh. piece of music that you just Gosh. you know and uh, and so I'm going to let you finish by answering those two questions um, and and then I think we'll end by playing that piece of music. So before you answer and before we play your favourite, your happy go-to piece of music. I just want to say an enormous oh, it's a thank pleasure. you great uh, fun. for doing this. It's been, it's been great, uh, uh, fun, and, uh, and I know, I do know that um, it's going to be um, fascinating, interesting, and hugely enjoyable for the people that are going to listen to this. So um, music is not just a story that matters. It's something that matters deeply to, to people everywhere, and uh, you've really brought that to life today so i appreciate it so over to you to finish this podcast with those two answers right so happy place well you know i've often thought that um when eventually this mortal coil is shuffled off um heaven will be a sort of cross between lord's cricket ground and glyndebourne um (laughs) good food good Uh, wine great cricket great (laughs) opera and of course the thing is with cricket and operas it's always changing so you never know what it's going to be like um cricket is really important uh, as a spectator Uh, i mean wanted road is 10 minutes walk away from my office in northampton and i love it and it's also free after tea for county championship matches so i can easily have some meetings and take a rehearsal and then walk down to wanted road and just inhabit a different world um and it'd be even better if they could win a few matches but you know that's 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 definitely the the happy place and i'd also say happy places because i i love travel i mean my my parents uh are determined to, to to knock off as many countries in the world um in their life and they've got to i think 172 at the moment out of 205 which is amazing so I'm, that's definitely what that I'm is doing fantastic um, that's fantastic. Go-to piece of music is really difficult because uh, you you want different things from different pieces of music at, at different times, and you know it's it's wonderful just turning on Radio Three and being surprised by a piece of music you haven't encountered before. Um, but you're putting me on the spot, so I would have to say it's Rachmaninoff's Second Piano Concerto. Um, it's one of the most celebrated. Uh, well, it's why? one of the most celebrated piano concertos, as you know, in in the repertoire. Um, it's it's curious because it does take you on a story. It starts with um, the, the the chiming bells just on the piano, and then this surging romantic theme in the first movement. The second movement offers some repose, and then the third movement just drives towards this absolutely ebullient ecstatic uh, ending. And also, that's the last piece of music that I listened to because it was at the proms last night. And as I was cooking, it was I mean, a second piano concerto. So uh, like any teacher, that's the fantastic. last thing Can you I... listen to is the best piece of music. That's fantastic. And we'll end with that piece of music. But before we do, can I just say, I hope it's many, 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 many years away for both of us. But uh, uh, what I do hope is that I join you in that place one day that is that combination of Lords and Glyndebourne because that sounds literally like heaven uh and so you know in, in many 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 years to come i hope i might it's see a deal you there. but um um before that it's a deal before that thank you so much simon it's been fantastic uh and we'll sign up for that one it's been a pleasure